comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Before we officially start this podcast, I want to remind everyone that the Ivy Sports podcast feed is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe to be notified of all new podcasts from the Ivy Network. We would appreciate if you would also rate and review that podcast feed. Finally, you can follow Ivy Sports on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We do have a premium membership that allows you to post without it being approved by an admin, be commissioner for a day, levy fines, get free gambling advice, not from me, from Alan, and much, much more. And with that, we are back with another edition of the Backdoor Cover IB Sports Weekly Gambling Podcast. I am your host, Keith Fleming. With me, as always, is the professor of gambling, Alan, a.k.a. Actively Lazy. Alan, what's going on? Um, nothing much, man. You know, just soaking in 2020. <laughs> the NFL, uh, you know, preview podcast, we, we've got off to a good start with some stuff. I know that you were talking about the Redskins being a real sleeper this year, potentially the second best team in the East. Uh, Russell Wilson shredded my Falcons, so the 12 to 1 MVP, uh, you know, pick I, I said I liked is looking good. And, man, the Chiefs look so good. I mean, I know it's only week one and it's early, but, um, you know, some things we were right on early in the season. Yeah, that's how I know it's 2020 because my NFL got off to such a good start. Usually <laughs> my, it's usually the most difficult uh, one, but I, I wound up going 8-3-1 and one, um, over the week one, so I was pretty excited about that. Um, this – we can't call them the Redskins. The John Does is what I'm calling them. The John Does was um definitely a good a good win for me because I I took a money line at, at plus two thirty, which is pretty good um for a money line NFL bet. But uh, yeah, it, you know we're gonna split the podcast up and and do um a little bit more sports specific. So tomorrow i will be uh doing um college football with marcus uh a gambling podcast because ohio state's not playing and the the season is kind of wonky so we'll just stick to gambling for this year um and we'll get more back to what we did last year um next year if everybody kind of returns to their normal schedule and then you and i are going to get back together on thursday and do a uh, nfl specific uh podcast yeah, looking forward to, to covering that. So the reason we're together today is the second golf major of the year is uh, starting on Thursday, which is weird because it's September. Normally, all four majors have already ended. There's only three majors this year. Um, we obviously had the PGA Championship at Harding Park in August. Colin Cowie won in dramatic fashion. We had the U.S. Open this week at Wingfoot. And then the Masters is going to be in November. So it, it's a weird year. I just can't believe there's a a PGA golf major going on during, like, NFL weekend, which is crazy. But it, it's going to be a great track. Um, just real quick to go over the course. Wingfoot was built in 1923. It's a par 70 course at like 7,500 yards or 74, 77. Uh, that's outrageous. That's really long. Um, I don't know if you saw some of the stuff from this week. You can literally hide a beer can in the rough. That's how high and thick it is. Um, it, it's going to be really nasty. The last major here uh, held here was the 2006 U.S. Open, won by Jeff Ogilvy. Alan, I know you haven't been into golf that long. Have you heard about Phil Mickelson's collapse at this U.S. Open? Um, I think you might have mentioned it in passing once. Um. Or somebody had, but no, I've never, I've never uh, looked at it. But didn't Phil make a joke about it this week? He did. So just so you know, and for anybody, who, you know, I keep forgetting, I'm getting old. 2006 was 14 years ago. 14 years ago, Phil Mickelson was arguably the best golfer in the world. He was coming off finally winning the Masters. He also won the PGA. 
Uh, and this U.S. Open would have been, I believe, three majors in like five tries. This was in the height of, you know, the Tiger Woods era. So this was a big deal. Phil came to the 72nd hole with a one-shot lead, needing a bogey to get into a playoff, a par to win the tournament. It's a very difficult par four, very narrow. Phil took out driver, you know, being Phil, hit it mock left. I'm talking about left of left of left. The announcers actually thought originally it was out of bounds. He gets a break, and he's in, like, pine straw. And so even the announcers are talking about he's going to wedge it back out into the fairway, hit it onto the green. If he makes the putt, he's going to win the U.S. Open. This would become the elusive major that he could not win. But Phil, again, being Phil, tries to go for the green, makes a mess of it, makes double bogey, loses the tournament. In the press conference, uh, you know, immediately after I will give him, he literally said the words, I can't believe I just did that. I'm an idiot. Uh, it's probably my favorite Phil Mickelson quote ever. Um, and then what was ironic was Tiger Woods would end up winning both the other majors in 2006. And that was the only time you really heard the conversation that Phil Mickelson might be the best golfer in the world. Um, Jeff Ogilvy won that major. A lot of people forget there was also Colin Montgomery who never won a major. He blew that major coming down the stretch. And Jim Furyk, who had just won the U.S. Open, I believe, a few years prior, also had a chance to win that tournament, and he choked coming down the stretch. But anyway, it's one of the more memorable collapses ever, and it's not even probably the most famous golf tournament held at this um, because in 1974, Hal Irwin won the U.S. Open here at plus seven. Uh, they called it the massacre at Wingfoot because the conditions were so difficult and the scores were so high. So this venue has a lot of history. There's been quite a few majors here. Other recent major winners at this venue, other than Hell Irwin, include Fuzzy Zeller and Davis Love III, who won the PGA Championship in 1997. That was the famous, uh, as he made the last putt, the rainbow was in the background. His dad had died earlier in that year. He was also a PGA professional. And this course is known for tight fairways, and I'm talking about tight fairways, thick rough, and crazy long par threes. The par threes are going to be a, a big factor this week. And actually, like Augusta National, which they will be going to in November, this course has steeply pitched greens with an abundance of slope, an abundance of break, and an abundance of speed. The final three holes are all par fours. It's a brutal stretch for a golf course that only has two par fives and has really long par threes. And this course is located just 30 minutes from New York City. You can't help but think of the great Frank Sinatra's words. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Uh, I am very excited about the Wingfoot venue for the U.S. Open. There's a ton of good storylines. Obviously, you have Phil Mickelson returning to the scene of the crime. Um, you have Dustin Johnson coming in just red hot. You have John Rahm playing really well, Justin Thomas. Uh, Colin Marikawi, I, I saw this, I don't know who was the first person to say it, but trying to get the seg second leg of the coronavirus slam, because uh, it's not the Grand Slam this year, Alan, there's only three majors, so mm -hmm. it would be the coronavirus slam, and a lot of other guys playing well. Um, are you excited for this U.S. Open with everything else happening in sports? Yeah, man, I'm excited for, for people to just get back to whatever it can be considered normal now um and and back to like you know their normal schedules it is weird to have the u.s open this late in the year like it's weird for me to be talking basketball right now you know i uh somebody asked about whether we had a thread up for the miami game and i was like bro it's football season and then i was like oh yeah wait <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it is it's it is, game one yeah but um i i just I want to see the golfers challenged. Um, I think people show up for majors. Um, there's a little bit more intensity involved um, in, in the game of golf when, when the majors come around. And it's a big deal for, for a lot of guys still trying to, you know, cement their legacy and, and uh, get their name out there. Yeah, and, you know, we were talking before we started recording that the U.S. Open used to be known – as the major that, you know, honestly, your, your Kevin Kisner's, your Chaz Reeves of the world could win those because you had, you know, the, the Corey Pavins and the Hell Irwins and 
you know, the Fuzzy Zellers, these guys that really didn't hit it that far, but just were gamers and battled Payne Stewart. And in the last four years, that has changed. Brooks Kepka won back-to-back U.S. Opens. Dustin Johnson won a U.S. Open. And obviously, we had last year Gary Woodland winning the U.S. Open. So, like the game of golf in general, there is sort of this movement to these guys that just you have to hit it a long way or more than likely you're not going to have a you know realistic or great chance to win at these I mean again it's a par 70 and it's playing almost 7,500 yards and it's not like it's just long the rough is going to be penalizing the fairways are narrow I expect the scores to be really high I know that the USGA is a little nervous because we all remember what happened at Shinnecock two years ago the players basically revolted. Uh, you know, you had the Phil Mickelson moment where he putted the ball before it stopped rolling. And last year, I think that they went a little bit on the conservative side of the way they set up Pebble Beach. They didn't want to let it get away from them, so I think they kept it a little bit slower, not quite as firm and fast. I think with this golf course, though, they're going to they're gonna go right back out to it because you've heard the players in interviews say that this course is very difficult, but it's fair. And usually that means that, yes, it's it's really, really hard to, you know, have a low round out there, but it's possible. You just have to play almost flawless golf. The USGA and the U.S. Open has had some issues in, you know, past years where even if you're playing, like, the greatest round ever, you were going to end up getting screwed because they just overdid it. Um, but what is the biggest storyline you know, you're looking for coming. Is it DJ? Because I know that you have an interesting theory about uh, 2020. Yeah, so this would definitely be my cue to explain um, what I call DJ's law. (laughs) So um, Murphy's law, I know everybody's familiar with Murphy's law, but if you're not familiar with Murphy's law, uh, it's the supposed law of nature expressed in various humorous, popular sayings to the effect, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. DJ's law is the 2020 version that counters Murphy's Law. So anything that can go right will go right. So I'm never counting anybody out until we get to 2021. That goes for any team, um, any player, anything. Because literally, since coronavirus has hit and people have returned to sports, anything truly is possible and has been possible. So um, DJ, DJ was actually... <laughs> One of the people that I was looking at, like, just from a angle standpoint, he, he fits what I was looking for. And I was just telling myself, like, not again. He's, he's eight to one. It's just too good to be true, man. Like, eight to one is so low. It's just, it's just. Particularly yeah, for a major. Yeah. I think even at his peak, um, and he was major, like, he's just major hunting. I don't think Brooks Capeco was ever eight to one. I could be mistaken, but I mean, that's, that's absolutely crazy. But, um, yeah, so anybody that's listening, if you, if you've bet anything or played anything or, or told your friend, of course, the Browns suck. They ain't going to the Super Bowl and you found the Browns in the Super Bowl. It's 2020 and it's just DJ's law. There's nothing you could do about it, man. Don't fight it. Just roll with it. I love it. Uh, it needs to be reminded that when DJ won his first event after the COVID break, remember we both openly laughed when we mentioned DJ. I think at like 30 to 1 at that point uh, to win the tournament because he had just shot 80 in three straight tournaments. And uh, boy, has it uh, changed in the last few months. So let's get into the board like we normally do. The the top of the board, I'm gonna go with all the guys that we'll go up to DeChambeau. So you got DJ at eight to one, Rom at ten to one, JT at twelve to one, Rory at fourteen to one, Xander, look at him, at sixteen to one, Colin at eighteen to one, and DeChambeau at twenty-two to one. Um I would say that for DJ and Rom, they their game sets up very well for this golf course. Rom's fear would obviously be, and we've discussed this many times on the podcast, he has these momentary laps where he seems to lose his cool or his head, whatever you want to call it. This is the kind of golf course that, man, you do that for a hole or two, you could be six, seven over. So that would be my, you know, my fear there. I just, Justin Thomas is such a great player. I, 
I know he probably should win a U.S. Open for some reason. I think that's going to be the venue he's going to struggle winning. Uh, Rory typically does not play great on really firm and fast golf courses that punish you when you miss the fairway. Uh, Bryson, I just, he's another guy that I just, I don't know if he has a temperament for a U.S. Open. The two guys I really like here, and they're, you know, almost the best value is Xander and Colin Marikari. Xander has never had a bad start in the U.S. Open. He's had a top 10 every time he's played in the U.S. Open in his career. We talk about it all the time. He does everything well. And Marikawa is one of the straighter drivers on the go- or on the planet. He's got a great iron play. He's, he's good around the greens. He's a good putter. Uh, those are the two guys I like right there. Is there any of the guys from that top board that really jump out to you that you really like or really don't like? Yeah, I was um... – on Xander, I mean, at this point, I'm like a Xander expert, <laughs> and he does really well on um, on the courses where the fairway penalty is uh, pretty high, and there's been numerous um, alerts on my phone and things like that about how crazy uh, it is to miss the fairways at this course. Um, out of the top guys, when it comes to, um, out of that list, when it comes to uh, strokes gain from uh, a fairway penalty being high... Xander's at the top of the list this season so far, and then it's Rory and and Rom. I wor- I worry about Rom's temperament too, because um, this will be frustrating. But there was another course uh, about a month ago though that was equally frustrating, and he he excelled and and oh, you're up Memorial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he ended up winning. So I mean, and and I saw. I want to say I saw some of that, too, at the PGA Championship where he didn't necessarily play his best golf. And it it almost seemed like he kind of got it together. Though. Like it, it wasn't as bad as it used to be, basically. It didn't seem like it affected him as long as it used to be. And and he's still playing uh, on the year. He's still playing probably the best golf of anybody on tour right now, even with uh, DJ's recent run. Uh, I think if I... Do the baseline stats by uh, the way that the gentleman has it, Josh Culp, on the on the site that I use, numberball.com. I mean, Rom's still pretty much rated the best golfer on here. So I I don't mind picking Rom. Um, I actually had him on my list because he was 10 to 1. And then I also had Xander on there at 16 to 1. Morikawa is, is definitely on his way, though. He's on his way. I think he's got he's got the uh, temperament for sure, and then he's when we talk about scrambling and and, and iron play, uh, he's he's that guy, man. He's he's really really good when he's on, and he's practically on every time the the lights are brightest when it comes to golf this year. So uh, you can't count him out either. Those would be my three out of out of those uh, people that you named, Rom. Xander and Morikawa. Yeah, it's funny with Morikawa. Probably the only concern, and it's human nature, it's natural, is the fact that he just won a major. And that can go, you know, one or two ways. I mean, just the media and, you know, all the responsibilities that a major champion has, it's it's exhausting, uh, you know, off the golf course. So that may, you know, be, I don't know, weighing on him a little bit, but... He just seems to have his head on so straight. He plays so consistently well. And again, this golf course sets up very well for him. The next group, we got Webb Simpson, a former U.S. Open champion at 25 to 1. Daniel Berger, who's having an unbelievable season at 28 to 1. Patrick Cantley, who is not in, in very good form. He's at 30 to 1. Hideki Matsuyama, who I didn't realize is actually a really good scrambler. Uh, I, I didn't know his numbers were in the top 25 this year on tour for that. He's at 33 to 1. Fleetwood is at 33 to 1. Tony Finau, who you just, I know I just keep rooting to win a major. He's 30 to 1. Uh, Jason Day and Adam Scott are 35 to 1. Are any of those guys kind of jumping out to you? Um, oh, punk Adam Scott. Is jumping out um, again from the come fairway. to the dark side, man. I love Adam <laughs> Scott. Uh, and his numbers on um, Poena Greens and the fact that he's actually done pretty well at majors himself. Um, I think it's a it's a good angle to take. And 
And the thing about Adam Scott, even though I, I trash him regularly because he can't punt as well as everybody else, when you play these tough courses, it actually works in his favor because he he doesn't he doesn't um he doesn't get a lot of bogeys. He just messes up his birdies. But if everybody around him is messing up birdies, I mean he he could shoot even. And and actually at Memorial he was in contention for a while there, and he was just mm. shooting even. And um, I, I would expect um, I don't I don't think Memorial had Poana Greens. I have to go back and check. But on uh, the Poana Greens, the courses that we have played, matter of fact, his his win this year came on a, a Poana Green. It wasn't trust where it was at this year. Rivera is a fairly similar golf course to this. Yeah, so I, I don't have a problem with taking him. Um, and then Hideki Hideki Matsuyama is is one of he's like. One of my favorite golfers, but it's so difficult to back him, man. Mm-hmm. Like he, he he just he plays really really well when I'm like, oh, he's not gonna do anything. And then when I do actually put money on him, he doesn't he doesn't um, play well at all. But I'm not surprised about the scrambling, um, simply because if you look at his game, he's he's very good on approach shots and 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 just kind of making up for any kind of mistake that he's made off the tee, um, and, and he typically hits the green but it's just the range that he hits it in um his putts are generally long and and he's just not very good at making those so he's another guy that you don't you don't necessarily see too much of him going backwards but when he when he's hot he's again a streaky golfer so he'll he'll shoot a, a six seven under one round and then turn around and shoot one under or even the next round and that's typically why he loses the tournaments there's no consistency uh in between the rounds but i would go with adam scott and um i know i'm crazy for this but i just have a funny feeling that cantley's going to turn it around at some point he's got the game for it for sure i mean he he won at memorial which is another golf course that you can say is is somewhat similar to this just not quite as punishing rough what jason day you know, we were all on the Jason Day train. He was trending in the right direction, and he's had a bad couple of tournaments. But, again, I think this is a good venue for him. Obviously, when he's on, his short game is as good as anybody's in the world. He hits it plenty far enough for a golf course that's going to play this far. Um, but are you fading him this week? I mean, again, um, DJ's Law says I shouldn't fade anybody. <laughs> So I'll put it this way. He he doesn't stick out to me on this course uh, as far as, like, the angles that I was looking at. But I would, if you feel comfortable with playing him, I definitely wouldn't talk you out of it because he has been pretty consistent this season, and, and he's definitely one to uh, – to grind it out, even if it's even if he's not playing his best game, you know he'll he'll stay mentally focused and mentally into what he's doing, and I think that's honestly the uh, the X factor this this week is what golfers are still gonna like be in the moment, even if their shot's not on, even if they they uh, it's gonna be a grind shoot, this week, yeah, sure. even if they shoot three three over on a, on a round or something like that, who's gonna stay? Who's gonna stick with it? Because a lot of people are not going to shoot well this week, at least from from what everybody's saying. It shouldn't it shouldn't be an easy course. So who's going to be mentally focused and ready to just grind it out? I completely agree. So this next group, and we're actually just going to talk about the three forty to ones because it's it's. I love some of these picks. First of all, what is the goat man doing at forty to one? Tiger Woods. I mean, I almost want to. Place a wager on him because you will never get forty to one uh, odds on Woods, even though I don't like him this week. But forty to one is so disrespectful to the goat. I mean, <laughs> DJ's law. That's my disclaimer. Every That's time it, about exactly. To, every, every time I'm about to slander somebody, I gotta say that. But all things, all things considered, he hasn't really played well and shown anybody anything. I mean, if you're taking his the, short game's been bad, which is the scariest thing. Yeah. You know he has that ability to scramble and get up and down from everywhere, but he just hasn't done it this year. And what's the temperatures going to be like? It's not going to be bad. I looked into that. I was worried it was going to be really cold. He had on the sweater vest. You know, as long as he ain't in the, you know, if you can't see his breath, he's okay. Okay. But at the end of the day, man, you just gotta, you just gotta go 
like with current form right now. I mean, if he played more this season, I would be more likely to be like, yeah, that's disrespectful. But I mean, you got these long layoffs and the inconsistency in his schedule. It's really hard to to put him down where he should be in the ten to twenty range. No, I, I get you. So the next guy, forty to one. I'm going to tell you, he's going to be one of my picks. I would feel a lot more comfortable about him if he wasn't, you know, a lot like John Rahm in the sense that he can lose his cool really quickly, and that's Terrell Hatton, who's played out of his mind this year. Yeah. Do you like Hatton this week? Yeah, I do like Hatton this week, but, I mean, along the same lines of what you said, and, and I actually had that argument with myself uh, earlier. I was like, well, if you're picking Rom, you might as well pick Hatton because you, you can't say, well, uh, I don't trust Hatton's attitude when literally Rom is like the same guy. Exactly. But, uh, but Hatton, Hatton's done pretty well this season uh, on some tough courses and, and, and braving elements and so forth. So uh, even though – I will say this about Hatton. Even though he does – he is very intense. It does seem to be um, kind of just who he is. It doesn't necessarily distract him to the point where where he's like, come on, Terrell, and, and throwing his clubs and stuff just yet. But, I, I, I mean, the camera also isn't on him 24-7 like it is Rom um, in most tournaments. That's fair. So the third guy at 40-1 to I think maybe my favorite pick to win the tournament and would probably be the guy if I had to, to give you a name, and it's going to surprise a lot of people, is Patrick Reed. He is arguably the best scrambler in the world when he's on. He proves that um, in all of his wins. He proves that in the President's Cup. He proves that in the Ryder Cup. He is a bulldog. He reminds me a lot of guys like Hill Irwin, Fuzzy Zeller, guys that – have won at this track, have won U.S. Opens. Uh, and the driving is the only thing that scares me because not only does he, you know, he, he doesn't really hit it that far, but he's also a good player on long par threes. And he's played really good this year. And I just, I know Patrick Reed, I could see him much like the Augusta wins meant so much to him because of being Augusta. It would mean a lot to him to win a U.S. Open at Wingfoot. I love him at 41 this week. He's also kind of decent on Poana Greens as well. But, I mean, the thing that irks me with, with Reed is he's he's not playing as well as he should be, um, all things considered. He's played well enough to win some tournaments, but he just can't put it together. Um, and, and he's definitely one that I would keep an eye on, though. Uh, for all the reasons that you were talking about. And then I think, let me see, on Poana, yeah, he's got strokes gain on Poana Greens. He's got strokes gain, obviously, with, with a strong field and the majors. Um, he's, he's pretty much on the positive spectrum of of, of the scoring uh, for everything. And then he's even got decent um, numbers with a high fairway penalty but that probably also goes uh to your point that he's a, he's been an excellent scrambler so then before we get to the long shots let's do the 50 and 60 odds because they're also interesting you got matthew fitzpatrick who i think is a dark horse this week um he's at 50 to 1 you have uh justin rose and matthew wolf and paul casey all at 55 to 1 Victor Hovland and Ricky Fowler at 60 to 1, and then Harris English at 66 to 1, which I know has been one of your favorite plays this year. Um, you know, you can honestly, if you're taking any of those guys, I don't have a big problem with it. Wolf gained so many strokes off the tee, and he's really improved his iron play since, you know, the last like six to eight tournaments. I don't hate him there. Hovland, this is a course he's built for. Uh, obviously, we know Rose has won a U.S. Open at a venue like this. Fitzpatrick and Casey are built for this. I even like Fowler this week at 60-1, to 1, which I know sounds crazy, but he's a great scrambler. He's a great putter. He drives the ball fairly straight. You know, we talked about Fowler, somebody who should have already won a major. I mean, with his talent, he just has not. Uh, this would be a venue that I like him at, and obviously we've talked about how well English has been this year. Are any of those guys like really standing out to you? 
I'm a little upset that Harris English is finally getting some love. <laughs> he usually he used to be like such a solid prop play and everything, and now like he's just I mean even at sixty six to one, the value on his like top twenty and stuff like yep. that has dropped drastically. Uh, he's been consistent all year, man. Um, he's taken on every every course that that um, he's he's pretty much touched. He's been um, at least a top twenty golfer out there and. And I think he's got as good of a chance at these odds as, as most of these guys do. Um, Sung Jae's kind of interesting. I don't know if we got that far yet. But he's at no, 80, yeah, he's at 80 uh, to 1. Yeah, he's at 80 to 1. And I only say it's interesting because he finally looked like he was like knew how to play golf again um, at the PGA Championship. So I wonder if, if that's um, something that, Maybe it was just the course, or or if he's finally. I was gonna say the one thing that scares me. Sungjae is a very aggressive player. He takes aggressive lines. He's aggressive off the tee. Uh, this golf course, if he doesn't alter that plan, will eat him for breakfast. Now I'm sure he has in some other tough events, but he is, you know, just from what I've noticed, like one of the more aggressive players on tour. He's always going after flags. And, I mean, you do that at a course like this, you will get swallowed up with a quickness. But he has, I mean, he did have good form last week, and we've both been begging for him to return because he was Mr. Consistency for, like, almost an entire year in 2019. Yeah, for sure. And um, I'm, I'm, I'll give DJ's Law a disclaimer again, but I'm all Fowler. I ain't got nothing to do with that dude. I, I just, <laughs> I mean, he's a nice guy. He's cool. But, I mean, I'm not going to try to give him a boost by saying he ain't going to win, but just say, I'll just say, I don't like him for my picks. I'll put it that way. <laughs> no, I mean, but, I, that's, I'm not saying he is definitely not somebody I'm picking. I'm saying it's 60 to 1 at this track. I don't dislike those odds. I obviously would also, you know, I'd like him better to top 10 or top 20 votes. You can get, you know, decent odds for a player at that world ranking. Yeah. And last year, when when I won with um, Gary Woodland, he was eighty to one. Mm-hmm. So well, like, that's it, ironic because he's eighty to one again this year. Are they yeah. disrespecting Gary Woodland? A little, a little. Um, but last year that course really fit him. This year, I'm not a hundred percent confident it fits him as well. But um, he he's been he's been one of the golfers that. I feel like if he could just put it all together, you could say that about a lot of people, but I mean, literally, if Gary Willing could put it all together, he's definitely good enough to compete with, with the Justin Thomases and, and, uh, the Bryce and stuff like that. That leaderboard last year was unbelievable. Yeah. Justin Thomas, Bruce Kepka, he beat all of them. Yeah. And he, and it all came together and he beat all of them. So, um, I think it's worth the flyer, man. Just, just based off of the fact that he has putted pretty well this year. And um, his his short game has been pretty decent as well. It's just the occasional erratic shot off of the uh, off the tee has really hurt him. Um, and then just playing par golf, you know, on on some rounds, he's just not scoring high enough. But again, we're we're talking about a course this week that you're not gonna shoot twenty under. So essentially, if you can break even and just continue to give yourself an opportunity. Not to lose strokes, which Gary Willen, I think, has been really good at this year. You're giving yourself a chance to win this week. I love Louis Oosthuizen at 75 to 1. He you has love, a. You love Louis every week. <laughs> I do love Louis. And I'm telling you, 75 to 1, he's good on U.S. Open golf courses. Uh, I like him both as a top 20 play. I like him actually as a pick to win. Um, he is somebody that, again, Poana Greens are the surface that he puts the best on. Um, I believe that, you know, if he has just a decent putting week, he's going to outball strike most of the field. He hits it plenty far enough. Uh, a couple of the guys that are longer shots that drive it really straight. You got Brandon Todd at uh, 80 to 1 and Corey Connors at 160 to 1. They are two of the straightest drivers on tour. They are two guys that consistently compete in golf tournaments where driving accuracy is a key. Could you see either one of them making noise this week? Uh, what was the, the two names again? Corey Connors and Brandon Todd. Because right, I was I was looking at Paul Casey trying to make sure I wasn't disrespecting him by not mentioning him, but 
Um, Brendan Todd is kind of hard for me to call, um, but um, Corey Connors has been pretty consistent um, on the low, um, and I I think he's a he's a guy that you should probably look into adding in, in your props. But but the thing about Brendan Todd too is he's kind of got that Patrick Reed thing about him where when he's on and he's he's like really scoring it, it comes in streaks. But I, I've seen Brendan Todd like royally jack up round fours this year. <laughs> like, right. It's been and it's been pretty. It was it was pretty consistent to the point where I think it was maybe three. And there was one there was one month where he had two in the same month where he came into the final round either the leader or stroke off. And just completely blew it on on the back nine. So um, you know, you talk about Song Jay being somebody that um, likes to take on any challenge with his shots. I think Todd's kind of got a little bit of that in him too. And and the thing about Todd is when he does do that, it, it literally comes at the worst time, and it, and it hurts him a whole lot. So I'm not really that high on Todd, and I think. Um, Connors is probably somebody you should look at uh, for props. Okay, so there's two guys also I want to talk about real quickly that are long shots. Colin Montgomery was one of the you know greatest, if not the greatest player ever on the European Tour. This was his last major that he had a stand at, and I think there's a couple of guys in the long shot range that are Europeans that are you know greedy type players that also should be getting a look at. One is Sergio Garcia at 90 to 1, and the other is Lee Westwood at 125 to 1. Uh, they play really well on difficult golf courses. They're both ball strikers. Uh, they both need to win tournaments, usually not with their putter. And I could see this being an event, particularly if the scores are high, which everybody is predicting they will be, that both of these guys not only could be in contention to win, but I really like them as a top 20 or top 10 prop play. Um, my two targets for top 20 props and, and maybe a top 10, uh, Joking Neiman and uh, Cameron Champ. Mm-hmm. I, feel like, I feel like both those guys, like well, with Champ, we're talking about typically driving it straight and, and able to drive it far. Um, and then he's been playing some pretty good golf, uh, putting together – just enough to to at least get you in those in that prop range. Um, he could be a sneaky long shot pick at 125 to one. Again, we're talking about a course that scores will be high, so pretty much everybody's got a chance. I think Neiman's been one of the more solid golfers too, and he's taken on challenges. And the thing that I like about him is if he does get behind, like let's say he's a, a plus three and the leader is a, a plus one or one under. He's the type of golfer to come into the last round and, and literally play his ass off and, and get in contention, um, which would really help you on DFS and also on uh, on your props. So I like him um, to, to at least give him a good look this week as well. All right. So I'm going to give you real quick my official picks. You tell me if any of these really stand out to you. We, we discussed most of these guys. So my picks to win this week. And I'm going to just throw uh, 20 on the top three, which are Xander Shoffley, Jason Day, and Adam Scott. Xander 16 to 1. Day and Scott are 35 to 1. Uh, I'm going to put 10 on Patrick Reed and Terrell Hatton at 40 to 1. And then I'm going to put 5 on Sergio at 90 to 1, Louis Ustin Hazen at 75 to 1, and Lee Westwood at 125 to 1. Uh, for my top five pick, I'm putting $20 on Matthew Fitzpatrick at plus 800. My top 10 picks, I'm putting $20 on Paul Casey at plus 450 and Lee Westwood at plus 1200. And the top 20 plays, I am putting $20 on Kucher at plus 450, Westwood at plus 500, Thomas Dietrich, the young sensation from the European Tour at plus 700, and Lucas Glover at plus 1000. Wait. They've got Lee Westwood at what, like five to one for a top twenty? Yes, that's pretty good. I know, that's awesome. Um, I will say the only one I'm going to be critical about is the Fitzpatrick top five. I don't, I don't think he's got the game to to, to get there. 
Not yet. I don't think he's got the consistency. I think this. I think this is the course that if he could do it, it would be here. He is uh, somebody that is going to thrive at a tournament that say the winning score is potentially one under, two under, or two three over. Yeah, and I mean, I, I believe I mean, that's not, what the score is going to be. And I will, I will go and say this as well is that I think I've been on record on numerous times saying like. His numbers, if you put them together as far as like his skill set and, and, and the stats, the very um, I guess if Xander's like a name brand, if Xander's craft, then he's like the Walmart version Robert, of Xander. Yeah. yeah. So like he's like the off brand Xander, which I mean that's not saying that's not saying that, I'm not saying that to be like an insult, but like if Xander fits this course, then he's gonna fit this course as well. So. Um, I guess in that in that aspect is not necessarily a terrible play. I just think he's also top, finished top twelve the last two U.S. Opens. Okay, I was just gonna say the top five just seems like like you, somebody that you would expect to be in contention, and I don't expect him to be in contention. But uh, like you said, and, and like we've been saying, it's it's a course that the score is gonna be so high. Everybody's essentially got a shot though. Exactly. Like that is one thing I will say about this one that we mentioned in the beginning that, you know, it's it's moved to more of a bombers course, you know, the US Open track has and it's you know, if, if the scores are gonna be around par or over par, anybody can win it. It's just obviously a lot easier for these guys that hit it a mile, you know, to have more birdie opportunities and therefore they have a better chance of getting to that number. But, I mean, even a guy like Chaz Reby or Kevin Kisner, the guys that, you know, if they have a really good week driving the ball and putting, they can get to that score, too. Yeah. And, and again, hey, I'm not DJ's, DJ's law. law. I'm, not, I'm not counting anybody <laughs> out. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so sincere about that right now. I'm not counting any anybody out. You got any official picks you want to give? Um, I will say that uh, Xander and – Rose, I mean not Rose. Xander and Scott will be on my picks. Um, I'm gonna take another look at uh the Patrick Reed pick. I, I like that as well. Um, he'll probably be in the mix because Polana Greens. Uh, I mean again, Scott and Reed have both won at either the Bent slash Polana Greens or the Polana Green uh, layout for us this year already. So, um, I can't overlook that even if I don't know the course that well if the greens are are something that they're familiar with then i gotta at least consider them as uh potential contenders and that's um, another thing to remember alan is no one knows this, this course well like yeah phil and tiger and adam scott and those guys they played in the 06 us open but i mean that's it like nobody has played in multiple events here uh and adam and phil had some success there tiger did not tiger missed the cut yeah and um Another guy that I'm curious about for like a top 10 prop. Um, matter of fact, I can look and see what his eyes are right now. Um, Tony Fee now. Mm-hmm. I like Tony a lot. This yeah. Week. He's at three to one. Honestly, I don't even have a problem with taking him um, as a potential winner, even though you would like to think given his history uh, with, with winning and stuff like that, you would like to think it would be a little higher. He's been very consistent when he's played golf. So top tens, top twenties, top fives, things like that. He's Love been very DraftKings too. Yeah, yeah. He's been very good um, in in those uh, spots when people play him. Right now he's a uh, plus six fifty as a top five. And honestly, I don't think, given the way the course is set up, I don't think it's that ridiculous of a play to take a shot at him. I mean, he's plus one fifty to to be in the top 20, I mean, that's pretty good odds for somebody right. that's, like, so consistent. Has an unbelievable track record at majors. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say on the tournament? Um, no, other than, you know, I, I see people sometimes complain about the, the scores in um, in the sports group. I'm not a I'm not an actual golfer, so I guess it doesn't mean that much to me. But I enjoy watching guys have to like compete against the course. I think it's awesome. I think it makes for an interesting um, interesting tournament when you can't write off anybody essentially because the scores are so low. It, it's frustrating for gamblers, but 
as a fan, like a neutral fan of the sport, I think uh, courses like this, if it does set up to be very difficult, are um, what golf kind of needs from time to time to just to kind of get everybody back to the to the competitive square, so nobody can actually run off with it. Because as much as we like Tiger Woods run. I mean, it kind of turned off casuals because, mm-hmm. I mean, what's the point of watching something if you already know the outcome is, is pretty much already uh, set? But now, on, on a course like this, and, and given the return of golfers after COVID, we really don't know other than that DJ will somehow find a way. <laughs> so, well, that's what I was going to say. The one thing that I don't want to downplay on the way out of here, DJ should be a prohibitive favorite. We talked about the 8-1. We obviously know he finished first the last week in the Tour Championship. He actually finished third for the week, but he, he won the tournament. He finished second the week before that, first the week before that, second the week before that, 12th before the week before that, a miscut, and then a win before that. So he has been playing really well. His last six U.S. Opens, he's finished 35, 35th, 3rd, miscut, 1st, 2nd, 4th. So, yes, he is a prohibitive favorite this week. So the most DJ thing for him to do is to miss the cut and go home after two days. But he definitely should be the prohibitive favorite. I mean, you're looking at it, it's insane. Uh, and just so you know, John Rahm last year finished third there. Sam Shoffley tied for third. Roy McIlroy finished ninth. Adam Scott finished seventh. So, I mean, it's going to be a really fun tournament. I think you're going to get a lot of the best players in the world battling down the stretch, maybe with a few guys that you don't know. And, again, it's not going to be who can hit the, you know, necessarily the best shot over and over down the stretch. It's just going to who's not going to make a bunch of mistakes. And I enjoy that kind of golf. Yeah, mix and match your uh, DFS lineups uh, pretty well. I completely agree. Again, like I've been saying, yeah, I was like, I was going to say, like I've been saying the whole time, it really is a tournament that anybody could win. Uh, same with your bets. Don't don't get caught up on betting these low eye guys like the Rory's and the, and the JTs and the um and the John Roms because we might see yet again. Because like I said, Gary Woodland was eighty to one last year when he Shit, won. Brooks Koepka in two thousand seventeen probably was sixty seventy to one. Yeah, that was yeah. His first uh, I um I had him and he was like he's like fifty or sixty to one. I'm pretty sure. Because that was my, my – it wasn't my first time being exposed to him, um, but I was a Florida State fan, and I picked him because he went to Florida State. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it wasn't like – I was like, oh, yeah, Brooks is going to win. No, I literally picked him because he went to Florida State. I will give a shout-out to Jeff, though. Jeff was on it, and Jeff was saying that he was uh, a pretty good golfer who had a shot to win, and uh, he had picked him. But I had already played it just off of a whim because he went to Florida State. But obviously Jeff's um, – um, and analysis is way more thorough. So, um, yeah, give, give everybody a, a really good look. I mean, it's a major. These tournaments are hard to win, hard to cap. Um, so definitely take your time um, and, and don't think that anything is too crazy in a, in a tournament like to, uh, what we're going to see this week. Yeah, I like I like what you told me a, a few months ago, and I had a little bit more success than then of, like, I need to, you know, obviously follow the numbers, but I also need to follow my gut on some picks, and I recommend that to all gamers, especially if you really pay attention to the sport of golf. Yep. So um, don't forget, we're branching out a little bit more to try to provide more content as sports have kind of picked up again. Um, I haven't figured out when we'll do, like, a miscellaneous show because, obviously, I, I do – I'm doing NBA. I'm doing soccer. Uh, English Premier League is back, and – and honestly, it's it's been pretty uh, good, and they've had some some good guys come through from the transfer window to some of these smaller clubs. So there's value. There's actually a lot of value early early in the season, I think, on uh, English Premier Soccer, and and I've dabbled in it um, this past weekend when it opened, and I did pretty good. Um, and then obviously again Wednesdays we'll do college football. College football has been kind of difficult uh, given the COVID issues. I'm trying to work through it myself personally, and I know um, some other guys are, are getting frustrated as cappers, but uh, we'll continue to do the best that we can with that. NFL hasn't been difficult the first week, which only means that the okey-doke is coming, uh, but yeah. um, I we're going to do that show on Thursdays. Um, part of the reason is that, honestly, Thursday night games are not really worth your time to, to overanalyze and cap. 
you could just take the home team to cover and and you would literally You're recover okay. the yeah you would yeah. cover the majority of your bets um I'll talk a little bit more about my like conspiracy theories on penalties and things like that as we get further into the season but I'm telling you man like it, the NFL is funny and I'll just leave it at that they're funny I'm not trying to say that it's rigged uh, because if it was rigged and I actually knew it was rigged, I would obviously win more. But there's just the human element of of the officiating creates so many variances that it, it's amazing that there's somebody or some some kind of program that can predict to the letter the, the number that the uh, game's going to land on. It's like absolutely ridiculous how tight the NFL uh, numbers are. So um, as we get further in the season, I'll talk I'll talk more and more about that. But again, support the content. Uh, I think the NFL show we're gonna do uh, live. Um, we'll do it by video. We do it live anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. Or, or by video, like. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. They, uh, and then me and Joe Matz are gonna actually start doing a daily fantasy football podcast. Uh, the goal is to get that up every Wednesday night. We're just gonna go through basically the DraftKings rankings. Uh, help you fill out your daily fantasy lineups and also hopefully help you fill out your actual fantasy football league lineups uh, by the guys we go over. But we'll be doing that just through the NFL season. So we hope to record the first episode of that tomorrow night. Yeah, and um, I'll support that because I want to troll Matt. I'm actually not that good at DFS uh, <laughs> football. So I'll definitely uh, – if you guys need questions or something like that, I'll definitely call in. Um, I'll let you come in and just troll yeah, I mean, I could do that too. I'm, I'm great at that. But um, yeah, so as we as we continue to work through it, um, we'll probably use the golf podcast to to do miscellaneous stuff. Just because when we don't have majors, uh, we don't have to necessarily spend but so much time on it. But um, Keith and I will work on that and, and obviously communicate that to you guys as we get there. Absolutely, Alan. I've enjoyed it, buddy, and I'll talk to you Thursday for some NFL. All right, man. Take care. All right. See you.